Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined this week by Mark Collier, the Chief Technology Officer of SecureLogix. Thank you for joining us, Mark. Thank you, Brett. Appreciate being here. Yeah. So uh, this week, we're going to dive in and talk all about security of phone systems. Uh, We've talked a a lot about this internet security, but phones are connected and tied in whether they're an IP phone or not. Uh, And so can you share a little about your background and uh, what may our our listeners be interested to uh, hear and learn about this space? Well, so I've been in the, the voice security business now for probably longer than I'd like to admit, you know, 15, 20 years. Uh, been at SecureLogix doing this for about 15 years or so. And, you know, we're primarily focused on securing voice systems in enterprises, big banks, government, uh, retail, et cetera. But the kind of issues we deal with, you know, robocalls and spoofing and scams, uh, they also affect consumers. So, you know, everything we talk about is is an issue for, for businesses, big enterprises, but it also affects, you know, the everyday person, consumer. Yeah, I mean, I, I get calls on a regular basis now, you know, my cell phone, and because this do not call list, if you're a criminal, you actually don't care about the do not call list. You don't follow the rules. Well, well exactly. The only people that uh, pay attention to the do not call list or DNCL are legitimate banks and other organizations. You know, the bad guys, they actually grab that list and they actually use it as a, a marketing tool to call people who... Who they want to reach so oh, that will not protect you <laughs> oh because yeah so they they know those are legitimate people if you actually sign yourself up and put yourself on the do not call list you actually raise your own profile that's right and it's uh, it's also a, a collection of a lot of consumers on landlines and, and mobile phones and and i would argue the the people on that list are or are largely vulnerable you know they're not uh, enterprise phones again they're consumers so I'm not saying you shouldn't put your number on that list. That's a good thing to do. But again, it will not protect you. Yeah, it'll it'll stop the, the marketing spam calls, but it won't necessarily stop the uh, attackers from trying to give you a ring. It, well, exactly. You know, if, if somebody's going to call you up with an IRS scam or an IT scam, then yeah, it's not going to it's not going to help. Yeah. So how did uh, Secure Logics get started and how did, did you um, decide that this voice security stuff was interesting and exciting? So, you know, Many years ago, or 15 years or so ago, a, a collection of us were doing voice security and, and voice-related things, largely for the Air Force and the government here in San Antonio. Uh, we built various widgets to do voice security and monitoring and other interesting things. So we got together to solve a set of uh, voice security issues that was uh, particularly hot you know, back 15 or so years ago. And, and things have evolved. You know, the, the issues we set out to solve 15 years ago have changed. And now it's more about, again, how do you protect enterprises, enterprises and consumers from robocall scams, you know, floods of calls, uh, people calling in and taking over your account and stealing money and things like that. One of the things I, I read an article about recently is some of these calls I've heard, they're just trying to get you to say certain words on the call. Do you, you know some more about those? Yeah, so there's there's all sorts of different uh, you know scam and nuisance calls, and and one class of calls I I refer to them as like uh, phishing calls or dead air calls, and and the idea is they call you up and they're trying to get some sort of information out of you, and and one simple thing that they can do is they could say, hello, are you there? Is this Brett? 
And if you say yes, they record that audio and then they might use it in the future. They might sell it to somebody who's using that to confirm some kind of transaction. So uh, one bit of advice, if I forget to say it, I hopefully will say it multiple times, is if you ever get a call from a number you don't recognize, don't answer it. And if you do answer it, don't say anything because they might want to hear yes or they might just figure some things out based on uh, how you speak. You know, if they heard me, they'd probably figure approximately my age. Maybe I've got a little Texas drawl or something, so they might know where I'm from. So anything you say, you know, can, can and will be used against you. So keep that in mind. Yeah, all, all the things the good guys can do with voice analysis, the, the criminals can do as well. That's right. Yeah. So... Secure Logic started here in San Antonio, and it came out of the the military back when um, our 24th or 25th Air mm-hmm. Force was were doing voice security and system security before the the internet and cyber uh, kind of command is over there now. Is that kind of the the background story? Yeah, that's that's a little bit of, of it. If you look at our founders, we've got a, a couple of folks that came directly out of what is now the 24th. You know, it's, it had a different name back then, but really the same organization. And uh, at least myself and a lot of our early engineers came out of Southwest Research Institute who were doing, you know, again, building various voice security and other applications for those folks and, and other people that you would expect us to be building that stuff for. Yeah. So uh, for those that have been following along with the, the tech scene here in San Antonio, uh, Secure Logics is one of the... Uh, are kind of untold stories in, in a way. They've been uh, around here, as Marcus said, for 15 years um, quietly as a leader in this voice security space um, and uh, doing a great job. This it goes back to some of the other uh, companies that uh, formed in San Antonio back around that time. There was another one called The Wheel Group. Did you know any of the, the folks over there? I did. In fact, the, the Wheel Group was formed before us. Uh, the Wheel Group, I... I th- as I recall, they started in about 1996. They were, again, several individuals that came out of the, what, what is the 24th now? I think back then it was called the AFWIC or something like that. Yeah. But uh, about 10 of those guys came out. They built uh, the first intrusion detection system. And in a couple of years, they sold it to Cisco for, uh, I think, $124 million. So great story. And several of those individuals came together to start SecureLogics. Yeah. So uh, this is, is one where San Antonio's had, a, a, I think, more of a tech history than we've gotten uh, credit for as a city, especially with these pu- uh, public-private and uh, a lot of research-based uh, security efforts uh, have been done here. We've not uh, built the latest flashy mobile app or uh, social network um, out of San Antonio, but many of the enterprise things behind the scenes have been getting done uh, here for, for quite a while. So it's, um, you'd mentioned a, a couple of terms uh, that maybe uh, we should go ahead and define for some of our listeners. So um, you said, or may have we may have been talking off air about it as well, but a, a contact center, a contact mm-hmm. center, uh, what does that mean? So, so stepping back a tiny bit, what, what SecureLogix does is, is voice security, again, for enterprises and governments, government, retail, Etc. And we try to focus on businesses where voice communications are important. And one place where voice communications are still really important is financial contact centers. So if you go to one of the top three banks in the country, they do about a billion calls a year. You know, they, they love it when people use their mobile apps. 
and an increasing number of people interact with their banks via apps, but at least with one of our customers, they still literally take a billion calls a year into their contact center. And so you have a number of issues there. You know, they're worried about somebody flooding them with calls so that Brett can't get in and, and make a transaction. They worry about fraud. They try to authenticate their customers because if they can do that, then they only ask you one annoying question instead of four, and you're happier, uh, and their operational efficiency is a lot better. So, uh, you know, that's you know that's just one example of a contact center. If I may continue, you also have retail, you know, airlines, uh, re uh, Walmart, et cetera, and then 911 is a contact center where yeah. where voice is critical. So. Yeah, I mean, 911, if they can eliminate fraud and spoof, if they can identify things very quickly, uh, it makes everything more efficient for them and safer for, for all of us. Yeah, and, and on that topic, uh, there, was, there was an attack last quarter. Uh, I, I do want to talk about this. I think it's very important. This uh, young man, uh, he found a very simple vulnerability on iOS devices. Very simple, been around for 10 years. And, and he wrote some JavaScript to exploit it. So he put some JavaScript on a website and then he distributed it via YouTube and Twitter and it got retweeted and fortunately, uh, he only had about a thousand followers. But what happened was, you know, some number of devices, uh, they, they clicked on that obfuscated link, which you can never tell what it is, downloaded that JavaScript and now say a thousand phones all called 911 at the same time. Oh man. And it was in the, uh, the Phoenix area, and it had an impact. Fortunately, it wasn't severe enough to crowd out any uh, legitimate calls. But imagine if instead of his Twitter account, he used a major celebrity's account with you know, 10 million followers. Yeah. Um, and, and one last point on that, there, there was also an issue up in Dallas where this wasn't a flood of calls. It wasn't an attack, but it was a kind of a interaction of old technology with one service provider's network. Bottom line, uh, they were saturated and individuals with real emergencies couldn't get in and in fact uh, one infant died. So uh, the, these attacks that saturate these contact centers, whether they're 911 or whatever, you know, that's, that's a really significant problem. Well, so this is the, the, the phone style equivalent of what everyone on the internet calls a denial of service attack. That, that's exactly right. About four years ago, the FBI coined a term called TDOS or telephony denial service, but it's exactly the same idea. Instead of, you know, a flood of TCP connections or whatever, you get a flood of calls. And, and one thing that makes it really, really bad is that the bad guys have internet class tools. They can, you know, inject calls in the network via VoIP. They can take over phones but they're generating calls into like a 911 center that's using 30-year-old technology. So, you know, the bad guy's always got an edge, right? But yeah. in this case, they've got a particular edge because they're literally 30 years ahead in terms of the technology they have versus the, the victim. Yeah. So you, you said that the, the attackers now are using some modern telephony capabilities. So um, I've had an example myself where I've, I've seen a phone call come in from my own phone number. Um, what is that? How is the attacker doing that and spoofing the, the phone number that they're calling from? 
So, so great question. One of the things that makes uh, a TDOS attack or a robocall attack or an IRS scam more effective is it's really, really easy for the bad guy to spoof that number. So if, if I want to call Brett and try to trick you into an IRS scam, what I might do is I might spoof to 1-800-TAX-1040. So when that number comes in, you see the IRS treasury or whatever. So you, you, you're smarter, you wouldn't believe that, but a lot of vulnerable, vulnerable people will see that number. They'll see their own number. Maybe they'll see the, the local tax office or you know, it'll be a, a, a you skip jury duty scam or whatever. The, the bottom line is that it's trivial to change that number. The, it's really easy to do that. You can do that a bunch of different ways, including little apps on your phones. And people tend to trust that number more than they should you know yep. they know they're not supposed to click on that link when they get an email sort of but they still give more trust in that number than they so should. that that caller id phone number not trustworthy absolutely absolutely not it, it yeah. th there's some industry movements to try to change that but right now don't trust it yeah and and this is like if you're, if you're browsing on the internet and you're you're going to a website and it says hey this certificate's not really signed and it gives you that big security pop-up warning um i think what mark is saying basically is the caller id phone number doesn't have any sort of um, certificate or secure signing or secure uh, way to verify that that source phone number is actually the real phone number and not someone just impersonating it yeah exactly and that's uh, that's one of the things that make all these different attacks, whether they're a flood of calls, whether they're a scam, just just that much more tough to deal with. Yeah. So a another uh, one that we, we've had some fun with here at the office because a few of us have, have gotten this call uh, is uh, I get a call from Microsoft saying that I need to, to log onto my computer and, and run an urgent patch and they're going to walk me through the patch process. What's this one and why are they calling me about that? So um, one, of the, w one of the organizations we work with is the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, not the FCC. And they, they track, among other things, consumer complaints. And they, they get about uh, 500 to 600,000 distinct complaints every two weeks about different types of nuisance calls, scams. And the really consistently the number one phone scam they get uh, they get reports on is what we call impersonation scams. It, it means the bad guy is pretending like they're IRS. Or in your case, example, they're pretending like they're Microsoft. So they call with a Microsoft number or some number that looks like an IT help resource. And then they do exactly what you said. You know, uh, Brett, you've got a, we've noticed you've got a critical virus on your computer. Would you please give us your password or let us take over your desktop? Yeah. And I mean, it's not that different from an email other than, you know, again, they're making a call and they're spoofing that number to create some trust. Yeah. So and and um, this one happens on calling consumer phones as well. I've, I've heard about that IT impersonation attack targeting uh, enterprises where mm -hmm. if you work for a 50,000 employee company and you get a call from your IT help desk saying we just had a software release this morning and I need you to do something to your computer if it looks like it's coming from an internal phone extension number or other things, because that can get spoofed again. Um, it, it, so is, are there systems that folks could put in place to prevent and track that? Well, well, absolutely. That's what we do, in fact. We, uh, we 
in it, the simplest way to think of our technology is that it's a, a voice or call firewall and intrusion prevention system that we deploy on the edge of an enterprise or government or small business network. So it's, it's looking at everything we have available about the call and trying to determine good calls from bad calls. Is, is this call part of a flood? Is this a robocall? Is it a scam, et cetera? And of course, you know, we could talk all day about uh, different technology and techniques we do to do that. But, you know, in a nutshell, that's what we do. Yeah. So you're listening to CyberTalk Radio on 1200 WAI. I'm joined this week by Mark Collier from SecureLogic, and we're talking voice and phone system security. If you've uh, ever watched the movie War Games and you saw him dial in uh, there and there was no security blocking that, there's probably no tracking at that NORAD facility back in the movie, um, they could have used some of the technology that SecureLogix had there and it could have uh, prevented that whole escalation there. So, Mark, uh, as we were talking a minute before this, is a, a, a voice systems need the same type of uh, security and firewall that you have on uh, the IP and the internet net data network systems um, and I think we've uh, seen some trends over the last few years as businesses uh, secure their IP networks uh, the attackers are moving back towards the phone mm -hmm. system what what was old is new again now right. can you uh, share some of your um, thoughts on on those trends and what's going what you're seeing across the industry for our audience well one, one of the the major problems with security is that you know, despite all the technical advances we make, the, the weakest link is still people. Uh, I don't have the perfect statistics, no one does, but I'm confident that if you looked at the major breaches that we hear about, there's almost always a social engineering element that was part, you know, that uh, there may have been an email that somebody clicked on, or nowadays there may have been a call that somebody made that got them credentials or whatever, which, which enabled them to get in. And you know, to your to your point, people are getting better about not clicking on that that appealing link in that email. They still do it. People still fall for it. They still fall for spear phishing and other things. But we're seeing a a migration from email uh, and other types of social engineering to voice and phone because you know people are better educated. There's more technology watching emails. There's very little technology in an enterprise or on our mobile phones that is looking for bad calls. And, and so the bad guys, they're going to the, the point of least resistance where yeah. they're getting the best bang for the buck, best take rate. Yeah, and th this is uh, uh, one as well. If you actually answer some of those robocalls, I answer a lot of them. It's an interesting uh, sort of phishing experience mm -hmm. for me because I get to see what's the latest and greatest attack. Um, I've had some of these ones recently where it sounds like a real person. They might like bumble and fake. They drop their headset for a second and then they pick their headset up and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. And you get into the conversation with it and you realize it's not actually a person. It's mm -hmm. it's a real robocall, but these robocalls are starting to sound much more, more human-like uh, from a, a voice recognition perspective. Uh, are you seeing any... Uh, like the trends or things overall with that? We're, we're definitely seeing attackers take advantage of that capability um, to, to make, you know, not only a recorded message sound better, but actually use that technology to, to try to interact. And let me, let me give you a kind of a chilling example. Um, last, uh, this really picked up 
uh, late last year, uh, schools in the Northeast were getting hit with a lot of bomb threats. And if schools get a bomb threat, they, they have to empty out the schools. So what, you know, if a bad guy plays a pre-recorded threat, there's a bomb threat in the school, that's chilling. But if they, they are, they're actually typing in text and the text produces audio that they use to respond to somebody answering the phone, like uh, somebody picks up the phone, there is a bomb threat in the school. Oh my gosh, what do you mean? Uh, there's a bomb in the school, it, we, our goal is to hurt children. The, the point is, it, it's not an entire pre-recorded robocall. They're, they're typing in text, they're getting out audio, and they're playing it back so that it's, it's more interactive. And it makes the whole attack, in that case, much more threatening. And in, in kind of a general scam, it just makes it that much more uh, realistic. You're listening to CyberTalk Radio. I've been joined this week by Mark Collier, and we're going through voice and phone system security. Uh, we've covered these topics at a pretty high level uh, here before the break. Uh, we'll be breaking for news, traffic, and weather here at the bottom of the hour shortly. Uh, after we get back, we may uh, deep dive into some of the, the technology behind this. So if you're um, in the more technical side of our audience and want to dive in and really uh, learn some details of uh, how some of the stuff is working, uh, why some of these flaws exist with that ANI or other things that were designed um, long before we'd ever invented the internet um, and really worried about uh, some of the security risks that are now showing up in these voice networks. We'll dive into that. If you wanted to learn more about uh, some of the other topics, we're on YouTube, uh, iTunes Podcast and Pocket Cast, or you can go to our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. Uh, we've had on uh, some of Mark's colleagues. I think uh, you worked with uh, Dr. Greg White at one point, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Greg was, uh, Greg was actually our CTO very early on and, and headed up our services group, and then he moved out to UTSA to form, uh, I think it had a different name back then, but the Center for Information uh, Assurance, or et cetera. And, and so, yeah, we, we definitely still keep contact with him. And we're also both working with the uh, Department of Homeland Security on on various research efforts so yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah because uh as, as you said i mean um earlier in the conversation you have customers that are getting a billion phone calls a year and even if that number is going down a little bit as we move more to um mobile apps and other things that number's certainly not going to zero and i actually believe we're going to see the rise of voice again the voice might not be coming directly over a phone network but all the the voice and audio security things you do are going to mm-hmm. become much more important as we start to interact with voice assistants uh, and we are going to expect voice in our apps. Google and Apple are doing a good job of teaching us how useful a voice assistant can be. Um, Amazon now with uh, the Echo and Alexa things at home, um, we're going to start expecting to be able to not only have to type into these apps from our banks or our utility company, we're going to want to talk to them. So you'd mentioned uh, Department of Homeland Security and work you're doing with them. Is this uh, research? Are you just going out hooking up uh, your devices to their existing phone systems? Uh, what's going on out there uh, to combat these things? So, you know, we've always had a, a research program to try to, you know, keep pace with and, and get ahead of the threats. And one of the things we've, we've been able to do lately is there's a cybersecurity division within the DHS. The DHS is a big organization, huge organization, but they've got this one little group that makes targeted investments in cybersecurity. They've identified voice as a key area to invest in, 
and we're working with them closely to try to kind of get ahead of some of these threats and even more importantly build some things that we can get out to the field in the next couple of years so that's been really exciting yeah so that type of research work is that done at your office or in a joint facility or you just can't talk about it because I don't have a clearance and neither. Oh no, it's well. One of the one of the benefits of this group is you don't have to have any clearances. It's nothing like that, which is which is very refreshing. That's a long story, but and where do we do it? We we do it here in San Antonio. We've got people here in San Antonio. We've got some domain experts that we work with that are scattered across the country that I would love to drag here. I'm working on that, but uh, you know, right now it's it's a distributed team working. And we'll be right back after the news, traffic, and weather to talk details. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brent Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. We're joined this week by Mark Collier, the Chief Technology Officer of SecureLogix, a voice security company that's been here in San Antonio for over 15 years now. Uh, before the break, we covered uh, a lot of these uh, things that annoy us as consumers and businesses uh, with these robocalls and fake calls at a high level. If you missed the episode before the break, uh, the replay will air on Tuesday um, after this weekend here on iTunes podcast, Pocket Casts, or YouTube. Uh, you can find information about all of that on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. Um, this segment, we're going to dive in a little deeper uh, for folks that uh, want to get technical about some of these things. Uh, I think everyone kind of understands because you've got a home network at your house now, um, and you might have a, a router there, and you've got a Wi-Fi access point. And you've had to figure out how that works, and you might have a little home storage server. Um, you have servers at the office for sure and a web server. These are all things we've all talked about. But dial tone on the phone system, Mark, for many people is just this black box. So uh, let's uh, kind of go through and introduce some of these different um components of a, of a phone network? Great question. And it, it really depends. You know, the, the voice network is and has been in transition for a number of years. So let, let me cover a couple of the most common uh, deployment models, for lack of a better description. So if you go to a, say, a large business, what you'll find is they'll have what, what traditionally has been called a PBX or private branch exchange and really it's just a big dedicated computer and all it does is provide voice services so if you went out to a large company in San Antonio uh, of say 10,000 people you would find they probably have a PBX or they have something newer like a Cisco call manager which is just a fancy term for a PBX that's using voice over IP instead of o older analog technology. So they'll have a PBX or maybe they've got five PBXs and five call managers because they're in process of transition. And then they've got a bunch of phones which might be analog or proprietary phones like we're used to having or maybe they'll be fancy new Cisco desktop phones. And the other thing that you want to cover in that model is that PBX or call manager or whatever you call it talks to AT&T 
or some service provider through some sort of access. And that might be old school TDM, ISDN, PRI, or T1 trunks, or it might be voice over IP. Um, so, and, and if you look at virtually every large organization like in the US, they're in some sort of transition from older stuff to newer voice over IP. Or the, the, other, the other last thing to cover there is a lot of those enterprises are tired of maintaining that PBX or that Cisco call manager or Skype for business or whatever. And they wanna move all that software to guess where? The public cloud. So they, they still might wanna have their phones, but they wanna move all that intelligence and hardware and software and maintenance out to AT&T or 8x8 or AT&T or somebody who hosts all that. So, you know, that's, you know, that, that's just one example, but that's what is typical in, in businesses. So you, you said that TDM, so this is, um, I guess, what's, uh, I used to work for the phone company back uh, before my, my current role now. And uh, so this was time division multiplexing. This is what you, you do to make um, phone calls go over a, a T1 um, trunk. And are folks still doing rollouts of those today? Is that something I can still go buy as a new product? Or is this um, just a lot of it out there? And um, if I was going to select a new phone system for a new office deployment, I probably wouldn't want to do that. How is that working these days? Well, again, businesses connect to the AT&Ts and the Verizons of the world through some sort of trunking. And right now, about I would estimate about 60% of the trunking in the U.S. is still TDM. It's still PRI mainly. And you can still get those, absolutely. The, the service providers will happily sell those to you because they're very high, high margin. But most of the newer access is voice over IP using a protocol called uh, SIP. It's a lot more flexible. You know, TDM is very, if you buy PRI, you got 23 channels, period. You can make 23 calls. With voice over IP, it's much more flexible. So I would say that, you know, somebody setting up a new system would probably use voice over IP or SIP. Yeah. And then so going um, out of that, that enterprise office edge, so the, the phone system itself it used to use, and, and you, maybe you'll tell me it still does, uh, this uh, SS7 signaling protocol to hand off things through the, the network. Is, is that still how uh, calls are initiated today? Yeah, SS7 is still you know, predominant in the, the cores of many service provider networks. Uh, uh, AT&T in particular, maybe to a lesser extent Verizon, you know, they still make heavy use of that protocol to set up calls, although that is, uh, that is rapidly migrating to voice over IP. And, and I've heard, I've heard uh, rumblings out of the FCC with, you know, the new chairman that, uh, you know, they, they may set a date where there will be no more SS7. So, but we're talking five, 10 years, five, 10 years from now. And yeah, and this is uh, one of the ones that's kind of complicated because you have this, it's like upgrading the core of the internet. And we've been talking about going from IPv4 to IPv6 for, it feels like 20 years now. Mm -hmm. And most of the internet's still on IPv4. So is it a, kind of a fair analogy, I guess, to say that SS7 is kind of the IPv4 equivalent of a phone network. It's this thing that's been around for a long time and it's sort of hard to switch out. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where 
we're going to do it, but until there's a really compelling reason, you know, we, we just can't get maintenance on older equipment or, or the only way to solve this spoofing problem, for example, which, which is a great thing to talk about, is we're, we're really only going to solve that on all IP networks. So if we want to get rid of spoofing and there's some standards that are being worked, well, they only work with voice over IP. They don't work over SS7. So if we want to address things like that, maybe that creates a business incentive for the service providers to make that transition. Because they're not going to do it unless there's a, a business reason to do it. Yeah. So uh, you, you talked about uh, the spoofing there. So if I'm on this, this SS7 network, kind of the, the old um, legacy analog signaling, and I'm going to connect through to a voice over IP in the, inside the phone network, is there some sort of gateway that makes that happen, that, that translates? What If there is, what's that thing called and how do those work? Well, well, generally SS7 is used in the core of the network and the the bad guys let's let's take an example you know and and there's a big ring of these guys busted last year and robocalls went down for a while and now they're back up that's another story but you know you have these boiler rooms that where you have people just generating billions of robocalls and and doing millions and millions and millions of like IRS scam calls and and these guys don't use SS7 they have voice over IP they buy a way of getting calls into the network via voice over IP they do it overseas. They work with different service providers that turn a blind eye to that because supporting it is their business model. But in a nutshell, the bad guy is using IP. They're using uh, free PBX software that helps them generate calls. They're spoofing their calling number. They're, they may be playing with the audio like we talked about earlier. They're using very, very well-trained agents, quote-unquote agents, to to try to trick people, but they're, they're not using SS7, they're using IP, which, which again, uh, to, to re repeat a point, the bad guy has all these IP class tools. They've got 2017 vintage attack tools, and their victim is grandma with a landline, or their uh, Dallas 911 that has 1980s technology. And again, you always, the bad guy always has an edge. But in this scenario, they've got like a 30-year edge. So yeah. it's a really big problem. Uh, so, and, and going through in, inside that telco um, network or out in my, my office, so I've, if I have um, a mix of uh, phones, maybe I've cut over um, all of my desk phones for my regular office employees to a voice over IP system. And we have a, a big contact center that's still on a, a PBX. We haven't made that migration yet. Uh, how do I connect those two systems together inside of my, my own office? Well, th well, that's a challenge. Uh, right now, you know, the, the, bigger the, the bigger the organization, the bigger the enterprise, either because they're growing or maybe they, they've acquired other companies, they, they generally have a mix of, of all sorts of different technology. And you know, th that's actually one of the things that uh, our solution addresses very well for a couple of reasons. One, you know, we don't really care whether they've got legacy connections out to AT&T, Verizon, or the latest, greatest SIP connection. We have different appliances or, or software if they want to virtualize it or even put it in the cloud where we don't really care what they have. So, you know, everybody has a mix of 
of older stuff, medium stuff, you know, the latest, greatest stuff. And since we sit on the edge of that and can support pretty much all the different types of connections, we, we make that transparent to the customer. You can secure both of them and you can connect these, these things together if you um, have the resources um, and a, a telephony team to, to work with folks like you. That's right. Yeah. And maybe you have a, a sad answer for me, but let's say I'm a, a small business and I've, I've got um, a small uh, contact center, uh, maybe 10 or 20 agents. And um, I, I, as a business, we did something that drew the, the ire of, of one of these attackers. And now they're going to try a, a, a tel- telephony denial of service. It's a term you introduced to me um, before the break. So now I'm getting a, a flood of, of thousands of robocalls into my phone. And I don't have any sort of security solution on it right now. I've got a, a either a, a maybe I have a, a PRI, uh, maybe I have a voice over IP solution. Um, as I'm getting hit with this telephony denial of service, is there anything that, that I can do um, as a, a victim there? Well, right now... Um I would say you're going to have a tough time dealing with that. In fact, there was a brand of telephony denial service. It was very popular, still ongoing, but was very popular a year or two ago called the payday loan scam. So they would find an employee that took out a lousy payday loan, and they would call them up and threaten them. And if they didn't pay it back, even if they never took the loan out, they would flood their place of business. So a lot of hospitals, retail sites, and small businesses got hit. And what most people do is they call their service provider, and generally the service provider is ill-suited to deal with that problem. Now, a number of those organizations we helped, but really the, the answer to your question is, is we, are, we are looking at how do, we, how do we reach the smaller business that's having a problem right now, and, and we're, we're gonna try to tackle that in, in basically two ways. One. Depending on your infrastructure, let's say you have a Cisco environment. We have a very elegant API with Cisco. We can connect software in the cloud to the right piece of equipment. It's the router in your environment. And that way you don't have to put a box. You'll go through the hassle of putting a box at your site so we can reach you quicker. The other way we want to do that is I think you mentioned 8x8 and Ring Central and some of these other cloud-based voice providers we want to work with them to put our equipment into their network so then then if you're getting hit the equipment is already there in their network and they turn it up but but we're still working on that so what it sounds like right now if you're a small business and you get one of these telephony denial of service um, it's going to be email your customers and say hey please contact us through email or online chat support or some other avenue um, because until the robocall guy stops or until there's some uh, better um, sort of real-time incident response solutions available, um, you just sort of have to sit and take the calls. Yeah, you, I don't want to say you're completely out of luck, but you're, you're largely out of luck because even the service provider has a difficult time figuring out where that stuff is coming from. If it's coming from one place... You know, in a couple of days, because they'll have to work through their process, they can probably do something about it. But if it's remotely sophisticated, yeah, that's a real challenge. Yeah, and this is is one on the the Internet side of things that that was addressed um, in a a bit. It's still, Internet denial of service is still a a big problem. Um, But one of the uh, most 
um, common ways it used to happen is that you would have these IP packets out there on the internet that had a source address of 0.0.0.0. And now the, the internet backbone knows that that's an invalid source address and it will drop those packets. So attackers can no longer send that spoofed um, fake source address that's not traceable across the internet backbone any longer. Uh, but inside, it sounds like inside of the phone network, some of that spoofing is uh, because of the, you said, 30-year-old technology all over the place is not uh, as easy for the service providers to track down? Yeah, so that that's a great point. And so a couple of answers. First of all, the, there's a concept within the industry called the do not originate or DNO. And the whole idea there is that if AT&T has a connection to some second-rate VoIP provider that provides service from India, if they ever see a call from 1-800-TAX-1040 from that service provider, which is a number the IRS, first of all, the IRS never calls you from that number. That's only a number you call. So if AT&T or Verizon sees a call from that number, just like your example of this blacklisted IP address, they should never take a call. And historically, maybe the service provider turned a blind eye to that because that call just does generate revenue. But now I, I got to give the, the Verizon's and AT&T's credit. They are starting to do some of that blocking in their network. But it's very surgical because they, they have to be careful that they don't accidentally block the wrong call. So they're doing some very surgical blocking on numbers that should never originate calls, like your 00.00 example. But, uh, you know, there's still work to be done there. Yeah, and it's a, it's a tricky one. It hasn't solved everything on the Internet either because attackers moved on to sourcing from a legitimate IP address. But then what ends up happening is the um, carrier on that Internet side ends up tracing it back to maybe whatever the IP address, 5.6.7.8. Um, feel sorry for whoever this class A that is that's right. in there, but um, is that they get fake attacks trace back to them because it originates from 5.6.7.8, but they're not actually the one sourcing the attack. But if you can you can get that fake traffic out there into the middle of the backbone, now they can't go, well, maybe that really did come from them or not. They don't right. know. So it sounds like similar things happen inside the, the phone networks where this do not originate works if you can catch it back by the source. But as soon as the the calls in the middle of the backbone, um, you, you don't know anymore whether it came from a, a real source or a fake source. That, that's right. And, and to go back to something we started talking about, you know, we're working with, again, the cybersecurity division at DHS. They, they recognize all of this as an issue, but in particular, they, they see it as an issue for critical environments like 911 and banking and parts of DHS. So, you know, we're working with them to, they're actually paying us to enhance our products to make them deal with more complex forms of attacks. And so, you know, we're, we're working with service providers on what are you doing about do not originate. We're working and tracking standards that we could talk about that where we cryptographically sign calling numbers and so on like we do with secure websites. And then kind of uh, in between the seams, you know, what do you do? And specifically, what do you do in really tough environments like 911? You know, uh, in a 911 environment, they, they're supposed to answer every single call. The whole concept of dropping a call is, is heresy. So, you know, how do you introduce a security product in there? 
that uh, is basically 100% accurate when it says a call is bad, you know, or, or how do you do it at a bank? Because if you drop a, a wealthy individual's call into that contact center by accident, that, that's a big problem. So. Yeah. So with the, the 911, we've got analog phone lines out there still, and there's a, a lot of those. Despite everyone saying the phone being dead, there's um, still uh, quite a few um, all over the world and all over the U.S. for sure. And then, so here we also have this E911. Is that like the electronic 911 if I call from my cell phone? Or what is the E911, and how is that making things more complicated, or is it making it better for those 911 call centers? So, you know, you have 911, you have E9, E911, which mainly brings in location for mobile callers because at least 60% of callers in the 911 are going to be mobile. So how the heck do you find them? Because they're not always at the same place. Yeah. You also have another transition to what's called next generation 911, which is all voice over IP and, and trying to consolidate things. Because right now there's six or 7,000 what they call PSAPs, public safety answering points. Throughout the U.S., they're, they're a mix of old and older technology. And so this is part of a, a transition to get them, get them into the latest technology. And that's one of the things we're focusing on. We would like to have TDOS and spoofing and swatting security built into that network. That's so when you said swatting security, can you help explain and define that one for us? You bet. So swatting is basically, I'm mad at Brett, so I'm going to call 911 with Brett's uh, calling number, and then you know the SWAT team or, or the equivalent shows up at your house thinking there's an emergency, and you know it's it's a prank. You know, um, so much more so than calling and ordering ten pizzas to my house. You actually just called and said there's an attacker or whatever, and the SWAT that, team rolls into my house. That's right. Yeah, it, it's not super common, but it's another way that people are taking advantage of how easy it is to spoof the calling number. Yeah, well, and that's a, an expensive um, mistake to to make because uh, I mean, rolling that response team out uh, is expensive there, but then also they're unavailable for a real emergency. Yeah, well, exactly. And, and I could give you Coast Guard examples, too, where they spoof the number and location to try to get Coast Guard cutters in one location because they want to do something bad in another location. So, you know, that's another challenge with 911 yeah, so and spoofing. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if I was uh, trying to ship drugs in via a boat, having the Coast Guard in one area might be advantageous for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, there's uh, no limit to criminal creativity, as I think you've mentioned a couple of times. They always have the latest and greatest ideas, and, and uh, on the defense side, you have to stop everything. Uh, right. And... And, you know, these people doing robocalls and IRS scams and TDOS, they're not your kids in a garage. They are, you know, they're, they're organized crime, boiler rooms, you know, professional. You know, first of all, if you ever get an IRS scam call, don't answer it. Don't mess with them because you'll just get higher up on a list. But if you really, really want to do that and listen to these calls, these guys are really good. Boy, every objection you could ever come up with. Uh, why, you know, you don't owe somebody taxes um, they've thought of. And they'll hang up on you, and then they'll call you back from the local sheriff's department. And uh, I could give you an example. I won't give it on the air of a, a really 
prominent voice security professional that actually fell for one of those attacks because they're so, they're so darn good. Yeah, no, I mean, this this is one every day is like where you, you think that it's not going to happen to you, uh, but it really can happen to you. Uh, one of the, the things we frequently recommend is uh, what we call an independent channel verification. So if you get that inbound call from the IRS, um, tell them, you know what, like I'm going to hang up and call you back. Right. And and then at that point, you're originating the call. They don't have any control over spoofing it unless they've been able to man in the middle your cell phone or whatever line you're going to call from. And if they're doing that, you've got bigger problems. Yeah. And yeah, that that's a good technique. But but at the end of the day, you want to you want to detect legit calls, spoof calls and, and those numbers. And yeah. that's one of the things where our research team is focused on. So, uh, I mean, uh, Coming in, so you mentioned as we had started, and if you uh, missed Mark's uh, whole interview with us, you can uh, pick up the replay on Tuesday uh, via www.cybertalkradio.com or iTunes, Pocket Cast, or YouTube. Um, you had mentioned that you have a, a big customer that gets a billion phone calls a year. Um, how many fraudulent calls do they get? Or if you can't say that, you can just hold up fingers and I'll just tell the radio. Well, there, there's different metrics, you know, uh, one, one metric, I won't quote the source, but they say maybe one in 2,500 calls or so is fraudulent. But, but there's actually more value in authenticating the caller because, again, if I know it's Brett or David or whoever, I only ask one annoying, you know, what's your mother's maiden name, who's your dog, and only ask one question instead of four, saves 30 seconds off to a billion calls, that's, that's real money. Well, thank you very much for joining us this week, Mark, and uh, please uh, help us uh, keep the phone system safe. All right. You bet. Thank you. <laughs>